You're listening to the Grace Family Church Podcast. Notes for today's sermon are available by downloading the GFC Florida app. All right, well, hello, Grace Family Church. My name is Hal Mayer. I'm the campus pastor of the Temple Terrace Campus. I'd like to welcome all of you here, all of you that are watching online, of course, all of our seven campuses. And most of all, I would like to welcome who I get to teach with today, which is absolutely awesome, my wife, Chrissy Mayer. Yes. Hello, GFC fam. I honestly could not think of a better weekend to be able to be with you guys. Mother's Day weekend, okay? So for me, yes, all all the campuses, we just prayed over all of the moms, all of those desiring to be moms, and also for all of those who are missing their moms this weekend. But for me in particular, I think that it's important that we in this culture especially point out what a gift motherhood truly is. And I honestly believe that motherhood and mothering is a gift that God longs to bestow upon all of his daughters. And that motherhood ultimately looks different for every single woman. So I just wanna take a time to hold space and recognize all women here who are here tonight who mothering just looks different for everyone. So can you guys just help me with a round of applause and celebrating all of the aunties in the room, all of the grandmothers in the room. How about all of the teachers? Okay, we just had teacher appreciation week. So shout out to our teachers. If you are a social worker or a caregiver or guardian of any kind and also a sister or a mentor, but also to all of those who work with the Next Gen Ministries, family ministries here at Grace, thank you for how you mother. Thank you for how you nurture and grow the next generation. Thank you for how you just love and lead with grace and with truth and especially with perseverance. Yes, and so it is Mother's Day, and uh, we we did a good shout out to mothers, but I'll be honest with you, what we're talking about today uh, is not just like a happy Mother's Day message. Uh, So this week, we're we're continuing in our series called, you know, the family plan, our our playbook, and today we're talking about something that, that really affects families on every level, and that is baggage. Uh, It's the baggage that we bring in. It's the baggage that we have from our past, from our past family, and, and how baggage can affect not only us now, but our future family. In fact, let me just say this to all the singles in the room. This is the message that all the married people wish they would have heard before they got married. They would have loved to deal with their baggage and seen the baggage and the one they were about to marry before they got married. Because if we're we're truthful, if all the dating apps really wanted to help you out instead of the, the question that's like, what's your favorite color? It would be, hey, if I were to come pick you up in a vehicle, how big of a trunk would I need to hold all of your baggage? Like, would it be a Civic or a U-Haul? I'm playing, I'm kidding. And just hear me in this, singles, it's not possible to get rid of all your baggage before you get married. In fact, some of it you won't even realize that you have until you get married or until you have kids. In fact, I say this to my wife sometimes, finding each other's baggage is kind of like an Easter egg hunt you never signed up for. But instead of finding Easter eggs, you find a fun argument. And uh, in her word, it's a passionate argument. And, And so here's the deal, though. We all have baggage. That's why it's called that. We all have baggage. But the problem is, is this is what happens when we're forced to deal with it. And most of the times what we don't do is deal with our baggage. Most of the time what we do is we get a prettier bag. And here's what I mean by that. The moment somebody uncovers our baggage, the moment somebody sees who we truly are, we change who we are. We change jobs, we change friendships, we change relationships because the thought of having to unzip that bag and look inside is terrifying to actually have to deal with what's underneath. 
Now, now here's one of the things we're going to be talking about tonight is a lot of times the baggage that you and I have as people came from our parents, but this is not a parent bashing thing at all. In fact, let me just say it this way. Your parents are not responsible for your healing. So good. They can't be responsible for your healing because many times they're still trying to heal from what happened to them and what they went through. In fact, your healing cannot be based on whether or not your parents ask for forgiveness. Your healing is based on whether or not you go to the one who is the healer, which is God. So God wants us today, and here's what I'm asking all of us to do, is have the courage to open up these bags, to have the courage to take a look inside and see how God wants to free us from those things so ultimately we can live a life that he actually wants for us. Because this is the big deal. If we don't deal with our baggage, we will pass it down to the next generation. Yes. So when it comes to the first bag, what I want to talk about is generational sin. Psalms 51, five tells us, for I was born a sinner. We were all born sinners, right? Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. So generational sin and family strongholds are a very real thing. And they can ultimately play a huge role in the formation of our identity, which ultimately makes up who we think we are, right? And how we relate to those around us. See, although I'd kind of heard these maybe kind of churchy terms before, I was never fully aware of how they were actually playing out in my life. So what were those kind of choices that I was making? How did that play into it? What were these behavioral patterns and thought processes? So about 10 years ago, before our son was born, I attended about six months of intense counseling, and I went probably like once or twice for um, that entire six months. Once or, once twice, or twice a, a week. week. <laughs> yes, for that entire six months. But we were definitely at the lowest point in our marriage, though. I had a lot of secrets, a lot of pain, a lot of baggage that I had been carrying, and I just reached a point where honestly, like I was tired. I was hopeless, and all of the crap that I had been stuffing away, you know that point when you're going away on a trip and you sit on top of your suitcase because everything's kind of coming out and you're trying to put it back in and then zip it up real quick? Like we were way past that point. So I was starting to hurt from the choices that I was making, but honestly, what hurt the most was seeing how my choices were affecting those around me who I love the most. Maybe you've experienced this moment before where you just kind of walk past a mirror and you catch a glimpse of yourself and you're like, man, like I don't even recognize that person anymore. And maybe you're asking yourself the question today, how in the world did I get here the only thing that I knew is that I wanted off this crazy train. And I was looking for any and every exit, but I knew that it was time to get honest about some things. See, one of the very first topics that we actually covered in counseling was the topic of generational sin and family strongholds. So what is this generational sin? Generational sin is basically the weaknesses or the tendencies, like this is the sin that is passed down to us throughout our family that ultimately affects our behavioral patterns, our thought processes. Like we've always done it this way in our family and that's just who we are, right? Like maybe you've heard that before in your family. But these ultimately keep us, keep us trapped in cycles. We repeat the same things over and over. So just to put it plainly, we ultimately will reproduce what we do not recognize, choose to recognize and heal from. That's good. We will reproduce what we choose not to recognize 
and heal from. So together, my counselor and I, she brought out this huge whiteboard and I was like, oh gosh, what's about to happen? And on one side, we listed out all of my mom's side of the family and we listed out all of my dad's side of the family. And for me, this was wild. Like I feel like for the most part, a lot of us, like we know the issues in our family and our head, but she actually asked me, she's like, hey, we're gonna go person by person. So we're gonna start with you, then we're gonna go to your sisters and your brother, and then we're gonna go to your mom and dad and their brothers and sisters, and then go back to your grandparents. And we're gonna actually list out as far back as you can remember what each person actually struggled with. So the sins that you knew that they struggled with, but also even the sins committed against them and that was just wild to see that written out, to see the behavioral patterns that were similar on both sides that had been passed down to me. And honestly, it was a little bit freeing because I was like, wow, like I didn't get crazy all by myself. <laughs> like I got crazy, honestly. And really we're just, you know, what's normal anyways, right? We're all just kind of different levels of crazy, crazy anyway. So I want you to turn to your right, right now to your neighbor and say, she get it from her mama. She got it from her mama. Then I want you to turn to your neighbor on your left and be like, I got it from my dad. I definitely got it from my dad, yes. <laughs> so what we're hoping to challenge you with today, though, is to take the time to get honest. Are the things that you are currently struggling with, the things that are just tripping you up and weighing you down, the things that you're, you keep doing over and over and you're like, again, are those possibly the same things that your mom and dad struggled with? or maybe that they struggled with at one point, or what about your aunts or your uncles or maybe even your grandparents? See, in my family line, we have generational sin when it comes to adultery, divorce, sexual immorality, porn addiction, sexual abuse, enablement, and codependency. See, John 10.10 tells us that the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. But we know that Jesus came so that we could experience life and a life to the full. So church, when it comes to salvation, I want you to know that yes, Jesus died so that we could experience eternity with him, yes. But Jesus also died so that we could experience the salvation in this life, the hope and the peace and the joy and the freedom in this life as well. So I think a lot of times, right, like we start to think like, oh, these are just the cards that I've been dealt, right? Like life just sucks sometimes. Life just is hard and you have to put on your, your big boy pants or your big girl pants and you just have to suck it up and keep going. But no, you can actually take the time right now today to stand up in your family and say, no, nah, like no thank you, no more. I am deciding to stand up in my family and say that it stops with me to jump off of this crazy train, to be a freedom fighter in my family and to say that, you know what? I'm gonna do the hard work. I'm gonna press in because I know it's gonna be worth it, but I know it has to start with me. And so I think it's important just for us to be able to understand that at the root of a lot of um, the baggage that we do carry, it is generational sin and family strongholds. So it's important for us to know the power that they have, which takes us to our second point. And that's the bag of abandonment. Now, maybe you're like me, but I remember in the early years of us being married, I thought at one point, I'm like, geez, like I feel like I brought in like 75% of the baggage in our marriage. Mine was just harder to find. <laughs> 
but that's where the enemy wants you to get stuck. So if you're sitting in here today and you're thinking that he wants you to stay there, he wants you to be discouraged and stay shut down because ultimately he knows what's on the other side of your freedom and your healing. But I just want you to know that I see you, that I feel you, that I am with you and I am for you. So when it comes to abandonment, see, my mom really never knew her dad. And I didn't know my biological father that I had a different dad until I was actually in seventh grade. And then the dad who adopted me and helped raise me, I didn't really have much of a connection with. And although I can't really recall him ever saying anything or doing anything specific, when it came to my siblings, I just always felt like an outsider. I just always kind of felt like I didn't belong. And side note here, I just wanna share this again. Today is not about bashing our parents, okay? Today is not about blaming. It's not about guilt for wherever you might sit right now today. And here's a little freedom for you because I know this was freedom for me. We're not gonna get it right all the time, every time. And so I love this quote that I actually heard once. <laughs> and it said, as much as we are told to set up our kids' counseling funds, I mean, college funds, we need to set up our kids' counseling funds. And I was like, amen. And the real I mean, question is, which one needs more money? But yes. <laughs> that yeah. is worth your price of admission today. So you can start that. But when my mom married her fourth husband, for the first time, I felt like I honestly had a connection with someone that I felt and see, had seen as a father figure. Um, and it was 16 years ago, actually, that I asked him to walk me down the aisle and then one day after nine years, completely out of nowhere, he left. And still not a conversation or an explanation that has been spoken to me or my siblings to this day. And it turns out that he had been having an affair with an ex-girlfriend for the entire nine years that he and my mom had been married. But I love this verse in Psalm 2710. It says, even if my father and my mother abandon me, the Lord is always close. So divorce, rejection, abandonment, they whispered to me, you're not worth pursuing. You are not worth being loved, being known, being seen. You will never be good enough. So when it came to relationships, ultimately the enemy had convinced me that love gives up, right? That love leaves, that love is conditional, that love is untrustworthy. So when you're carrying around the baggage of abandonment, it'll kind of manifest itself in one or two ways, or maybe a combination of the two if you're like me, but it can show up as codependence or avoidance. So when it comes to codependence, this is the idea that you just tend to be super clingy or super needy. Like you're overly eager to jump from relationship to relationship. Like you just are always with someone. You can't handle being alone for very long. Or maybe it's that person that you know, they just kind of disappear off the face of the planet when they get into a relationship. And they're just always with that person. They eat, breathe, and sleep each other, right? And then also, this doesn't also necessarily have to be in intimate relationships. It can be in friendships as well. This is the idea that, you know, you meet someone, you guys have a lot in common, and you're like, oh my gosh, we are going to be besties forever. But then you have to make sure that everyone around you knows, hey, like, that is my bro. That is my homie. That is my best friend. And then when other people start to come around and best friend starts to have other good friends, like, you start to feel insecure, right? And intimidated. Or maybe for you, it's avoidance. Those are the people that build strong walls, 
I don't know if you're like me, but are there any recovering strong wall builders in the room today? That was definitely me. This one is for those of us who just tend to kind of shy away from vulnerability or intimacy of any kind with anyone. This is the idea that I will never allow that to happen to me again. I will never be left again. Subconsciously though, you know what's interesting? We actually tend to pursue relationships with people who are emotionally unavailable. Because consequentially, that enables the continued belief that love is untrustworthy. So if you are currently single, I beg you to do the work of healing now because I can tell you that when you get married, it will not solve that problem. Marriage does not solve your problems. And all the married people in the room said, marriage will not solve your problems because marriage will only magnify them. I didn't solve all your, it's the first time hearing this. (laughs) So the bag of abandonment has to deal with somebody that, that walks away, that leaves you. Now, what's interesting is it it tends to be on both sides. And so you have the bag of abandonment where somebody leaves, and then you have the other side, which I'm seeing more and more of today, which is the bag of enablement. And I feel like this is becoming more and more uh, something that I see in premarital counseling with with younger people. It's It's the kid that grows up with a parent that never allows them to fail. The parent that never allows them to feel pain, the parent that always steps in, never allows them to do anything where they're not succeeding. They're constantly telling them how incredible they are. In fact, if they don't get a trophy, they're buying a trophy for them. Like they're making sure everything is okay. And the problem is this is what ends up happening is they don't set up boundaries and they never say no. And what a kid truly needs is what? Boundaries. They need to know that while they're great at some things, they may not be good at other things. The problem is no kid is ever gonna go to their parents and say, I need boundaries. But here's the big problem that happens, and this is what I've seen, is a kid who's grown up in an enabled environment, when they walk down the aisle, I mean, we're already selfish when we walk down the aisle. But a kid that's grown up in an enablement, when they walk down the aisle, here's what this, they believe, is that if their spouse ever tells them no, or if their spouse ever criticizes them in any way, that means they don't love them. Because they believe that love is just telling them that they're amazing. See, I need you to hear me in this, parents. It is perfectly okay. In fact, it is healthy to allow your kids to fail. It is healthy to help them understand that while they are absolutely talented and gifted in one area, they may not have all the gifts across the board. Look, hear me on this. It's okay for your little girl to grow up and know that she's a princess, but that she's not perfect. It's okay for your little boy to to grow up as a prince, but he doesn't need to believe that he's God's gift to women. Latino moms. Honestly, all boy moms. (laughs) Yeah, we've had to have a lot of conversations about how we want our son to move away when he's old enough. But um, I'm kidding, moms. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. But here's here's the problem many times with enablement is how do you know you're dealing with it? You need somebody that's absolutely honest enough to actually tell you the truth. The problem is most of the time those were honest enough to tell you the truth you walked away from because you're going, that's not what love is. See, enablement is the, the idea that I need to make sure my child has everything and my child will never fail. That, that is a bag, but then when you can go to the other side, which is the parent that I think a lot of us had growing up, which is the parent that is based off performance. It's the parent that said, I love you, but, or good job, but. 
It's the, it's the parent that always had a compliment, but there was always a, uh, another thing along with it is you did a good job, but this is how you can get better. I mean, I think this is what happens so many times. I think for some of us, and maybe it wasn't even a parent, but it was someone that we absolutely trusted. And it wasn't even that it was a lifetime of these things. It was one comment that affected our lives. One comment that, that came off where they may not even known they was said it that way, but it affected who we are. I mean, I know for me that that's what happened. I, I, I just need to explain this. I am Halmer the fourth, and my son is actually Halmer the fifth. So there's, there's been five of us. That's a lot. But and my dad, one time when he was talking to me while I was a kid, said this to me. He goes, Hal, I need you to understand, uh, you come from an incredible lineage of men. He goes, in fact, every Hal has accomplished more than the one before him. And at first I was like, oh, that's awesome. But then I started to think about all the, the accomplishments each Hal had. Hal number one was in many wars, was actually buried in Arlington Cemetery, like an incredible man. Hal number two fought in a war also, but then with just a high school education, he started off in the bottom in a paper company, moved up to vice president and retired a millionaire. Hal number three started playing basketball as a sophomore and because he's so athletic, he got a college scholarship to a D1 school. He became executive pastor at several mega churches. And on top of that, he got a doctorate in educational leadership, which he used on the side to go to Fortune 500 companies and teach managers how to lead. So I'm thinking to myself, so for me to be successful, I need to be a war hero. I need to be a multimillionaire. And I need to lead at an incredibly high level. So I went through life many times constantly comparing myself to where my dad would have been or the other house would have been. I didn't want people to know that I would fail and it weighed heavy on me until I had a conversation with my dad where he goes, that's not at all what I meant. That's not at all what I was trying to say. He's like, God has gifted you in a different way and each house has been different and God's gonna use you in a big way that was never meant to hold you down. But here's what I know. Many of us are holding on to a comment we're holding on to a moment where someone said something to us that is holding us back. And here's, here's the real problem is someone who has, uh, has been dealing with performance-based love, when they get into marriage, they set expectations. They set expectations on their spouse. And when their spouse doesn't meet those expectations that are normally unsaid, they don't show love to them. And here's the other side of it. They set expectations on themselves. And when they don't meet those expectations, it doesn't matter how much their spouse says, I love you, I care about you, they never receive it. So they never give love or receive love because of that. See, I need you to understand the only way that we deal with this performance side of love is to look to the one that doesn't require anything of us to be loved, and that's God. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. He's saying, look, I don't care what you do. There's nothing you can do that can cause God to love you any less or love you any more. It says, no power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, this is a bag that if we don't unpack it, our entire family will feel the same way we did in that moment. Yes, so good. So we've talked about the bag of generational sin. We've talked about the bag of abandonment. We've talked about the bag of enablement and also performance-based love. So this leaves us our fifth and final bag, which is the bag 
of abuse. And I believe that this can be the hardest bag to deal with because it's complicated. There's so many layers to it, and I don't know if any of us will truly fully understand all of its ramifications, but abuse can be emotional, it can be physical, it can be sexual, but we can be sure that abuse will always have a direct impact on all of our relationships because abuse, when left unhealed, when left hidden, is ultimately like a ticking time bomb. So I personally was a victim of childhood sexual abuse in elementary school and once in middle school, and I was raped in high school. And we know today that one in four women are affected by sexual abuse, and one in six men, which I just wonder across all of our campuses, how many of us are still holding on to this bag? How many of us are still hiding and carrying the weight of something that we were never created to carry? See, it wasn't until I decided to do the hard work of counseling. For 25 years, I hid this baggage of abuse from shame and the disgust that I tried to hide. It wasn't until I was 28 years old that I was even able to say the words victim and rape out loud. Because when abuse is experienced, the enemy will try to get you to do one or maybe all three of these things. He'll either try to get you to minimize it, to compare it, or perhaps the worst, convince you that you did something to deserve it. And this might sound something like, hey, it could have been worse. Or you hear someone else's story and you think, well, it wasn't that bad. Bad stuff just happens. So I just need to be quiet and suck it up and just move on. Or maybe, hey, you shouldn't have put yourself in that position. No one would believe you if you told your story anyways because you flirted. So what were someone supposed to you know, expect? What were they supposed to do? So for 28 years, I carried around this baggage, working hard to ultimately build a strong image, a strong image with strong walls that could not be broken. But ultimately, I was trying to put a Band-Aid on what God wanted to do real open heart surgery on. See, I convinced myself that never again would I be a victim. Never again would I make my, put myself in a situation where I was made to feel weak or vulnerable or not in control again. So by the time I got married, my idea of what sex was supposed to be became so warped and there were addictions that I had picked up along the way that were directly um, tied to the abuse that I had experienced. But coming into marriage then, I really only let Hal know and see and love a small part of me because I had to fight so hard on a daily basis to keep that image up. Because I believe that if Hal truly, really knew the real me, that he would confirm the lies that the enemy had told me, or even worse, that I would be too dirty, that I would be too broken, and that he too would leave. So about six years into marriage, I got the courage a little bit before going to counseling, and I began to start unpacking some of this baggage, and it was very slow, and when I would start to feel like I was becoming vulnerable, I would start to self-sabotage 
and I would try to push him away. It's almost like I would tell him just a little bit, but then it was like I was testing him. It was like, okay, but do you really love me if I tell you everything? Will you really stay? Can you actually handle all of this? Am I really worth fighting for? And I love these promises in Psalms. Psalm 34, 18 tells us that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and that he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And Psalms 147, three says that he heals the brokenhearted and he bandages up their wounds. So this is my counseling plug for the day. If you have ever thought at some point, hey, maybe I should get counseling, but you haven't done that yet, or maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, okay, maybe this is the little like nudge that I needed and I'm gonna take a step forward, do it. Because I can guarantee you that as soon as you walk out these doors and as soon as your feet hit the floor tomorrow, the enemy is going to throw a million distractions at you and you're already going to have tried to talk yourself out of it and kind of rationalize it like we like to do and be like, eh, you know, like this, this season's too busy or maybe counseling, it's just really not my thing. Like it sounds like it was great for her, but it's not really my thing. Don't stop there. Because the enemy knows who is on the other side of your healing and freedom. He knows what healing and freedom will do for you personally, but also what it will do for your entire family and everyone that you come into contact with. So don't get stuck there. I saw this meme the other day. I thought it was so funny. It said, most of us who are currently in therapy are in therapy because someone in our lives chose not to go to therapy. I was like, and I got an amen. Um, so why though am I so passionate about Jesus plus therapy? So first of all, in therapy, after we talked about generational sins, what we learn to do is really replace the lies that the enemy tells us with the truth of the word of God. I literally had to let God transform my mind because the lies that the enemy had told me ultimately were becoming my belief system. They affected the way that I saw the world, how I related to the same sex, how I related to the opposite sex, how I related even to God, how I saw God as father. And so I had to start working on uncovering what were these belief systems, were they rooted in truth or were they rooted in lies? And second of all, as you start kind of bringing these lies that have stayed hidden, no longer does the enemy have you in isolation. Because we know that the Bible tells us that the enemy is prowling around like a lion and he's looking for the who? The person that is what? Alone. So once those lies start coming out of the darkness and no longer are you alone, the Bible also tells us in Revelation 12, 11, that they actually triumphed over the enemy. They triumphed over the lies by the blood of the lamb, but also the word of their testimony. Amen. See, the years that the enemy has stolen from me, the Lord has been so good and he has been so faithful and he is still restoring those years, but each step of surrender that you take towards him, each time that you start to trust him and offload a little bit more of your baggage and start to replace those lies with the truth, the enemy starts to lose his power and those lies start to become silenced. And when you start to share just a little bit more of your story, it enables once you find your brave, somebody else to find their brave. Once you become courageous, other people become courageous and start coming out of hiding with their story too. So I just wanna 
respond to this because whenever Chrissy tells her story, there tends to be two responses to it that I just wanna say are dangerous responses. And the first one is this, is for those that are in single in the room, I'll just wait till I get married, then I can go through this with somebody. And let me just say, that's, that's selfish. And on top of that, I need you to understand, like I'm a pastor and I didn't handle it in the best way every time. I, I didn't respond in the best way every time. I mean, there were times where I was incredibly selfish and I'm asking the question, did I miss something? Like, is this the right person? Should I have married this person? I remember one time realizing how hard it was for her to go through this process while trying to be a pastor's wife and keep up the persona of what it looks like to be a pastor. And I asked her, I said, hey, should I leave ministry so that you can heal? And even though I asked that question, that sounded good in my heart, I was terrified of the answer. I was terrified of the answer. And so here's what I know. It is much easier to heal when you're not having to worry about whether or not the person you're married to is going to accept you. If they're gonna walk away and what their reaction is going to be. And here's the second dangerous response. You go, how? This sounds like a really tough journey. This doesn't sound like a very easy thing to do. So I will stuff this away right now because I have kids. I have a husband. I, I, I have a wife. I don't want to deal with this right now. And let me just say this. The journey is worth it. I married a percentage of who Chrissy is today. Who she is now as a spouse, as a mom, as a leader, someone who starts a prison ministry because she sees women that are dealing with the same lies that she does, someone who comes along foster moms and helps them in these situations. They come along, she comes along single, she comes along women. She, she's an incredible mother in this time. What this allowed her to do was open up her heart to everything that God had for her. See, the enemy wants to tell you, hey, don't worry about it, you're fine. But the amount of energy and heart space you are using to cover up all those areas of your life could be used to love and care for those around you. And singles, let me say this, you are never more attractive than when you're whole. Amen. <laughs> and on top of that, when you're whole is when you're actually attracted to other people that are whole. When we're not whole, we tend to be attracted to the wrong people. See, what we've got to do is we've got to take a step forward. And the only way we take a step forward is we look to the one that can heal us. We look to the one that can love us unconditionally. Because as a husband, I'll be honest, I have a conditional love. We all have a conditional love. There's only one that can love us unconditionally, and that's God. That's why the healing starts there because God doesn't say, hey, there's a weight limit to your baggage. I need you to deal with these before you come back. He says, bring everything to me. Bring all of it to me because healing is only possible at the foot of the cross. Because healing requires forgiveness. Healing requires heart surgery. So if you're in here today and you haven't just started that relationship with the God that wants to be with you, that wants to guide you, that wants to love you, that wants to heal you, that so wants to release your heart, what I wanna do right now is say a prayer out loud that you can say silently right where you're at and start that relationship. Because I'm telling you, the road to healing starts first with a relationship with God. So if we could, if we could on all of our campuses and online right now, if we could just bow our heads and close our eyes. 
If you wanna start that relationship with God right now, I'm gonna say a prayer out loud that you can say silently right where you're at. Dear God, I know that I've sinned. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, that he lived a perfect life, that he died, but he rose again, defeating death. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for healing me. God, thank you for loving me first. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, that's the best decision you will ever make because what God allows us to do is to get out of the pattern of generational sin. Hear me on this. When we actually surrender our past to God, we can then develop a new pattern. We can change our family crest. We can change what we say, oh, that's just us, that's our family. See, instead of addiction being our family legacy, it can be healing. Instead of bitterness being our family legacy, it can be forgiveness. Instead of worry being our family legacy, it can be faith. But we've gotta take a next step. Yes, it starts with Jesus, but it also requires Jesus' people around you. So for some of you, it's getting around some people that absolutely love God and will tell you the truth. For some of you, next semester, you should be in freedom. As we talk through how to get free from the lies that the, the enemy has told us, if addiction is your problem, we have Celebrate Recovery that meets every Thursday on the Land O'Lakes campus. And if right now you're realizing that you need a counselor, which let me just say this, realizing you need a counselor is not weakness, it's strength, understanding that you have a weakness. What we would love to do is this. If you text CONNECT to 81313, you'll see at, at the top three things are, you can find out about Celebrate Recovery, you can find out about freedom. There's also a list of counselors there. And the reason we have the list of counselors there is not because we don't wanna to talk to you about counselors, we just know some of you, you don't wanna to talk to anybody, you just want a list. And that's okay. <laughs> but we would love to come around you. We have care pastors at every single campus that would love to help you find the right person to talk to. And it was Chrissy's third counselor that was the one that really brought her through the, the hardest part. But I believe this, here's the toughest part, you need to take a step today. Because like Christy said, the moment you go out those doors, the steps stop. The moment you go out those doors, the enemy will tell you, hey, you shouldn't do this, you're fine just the way you are. And so to close the service before the campus pastors come up and help us with some next steps, I'm gonna ask my wife to just close us in a prayer to ask for courage. So let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity that you've just given all of your sons and daughters this weekend just to come before you and say, hey, I'm a mess and I recognize that I'm enough, but God, you promise that you are more than enough. God, we thank you for the gift of salvation, but God, we want the more that you also promise in this life. It is tiring, it is exhausting to hide everything that we work to try to hide. And like I said, we're not really even that great at it anyways. So God, I just pray for the peace. God, I pray for the comfort. I pray for the clarity and the courage to take the next step even when our feet tremble. And I pray that you would just surround us with others who can lift us up when we need to have our arms lifted. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Family Church podcast. For more info, check out gfcflorida.com. Or connect with us by texting the word CONNECT to 81313. We look forward to meeting you at one of our locations soon.